It's football and other F-words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. He's Mike Curdy. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. We're brought to you by Bluegrass Beverages. Been around since 1973. Been around for forever. They are an awesome liquor store. I encourage everybody to go there and make sure to join the B.O.B. Club because um, basically you will get to know all the exclusive liquors and everything. If you're in Gallatin, Madison, Goodlettsville, White House, Springfield, it's probably the closest liquor store that is the most award-winning liquor store as well. So head over to Hendersonville to Bluegrass Beverages. That's not the that's not the Bill O'Brien Club, right? It's not the Bill O'Brien Club. It, maybe they need to redo that so we don't have to say the B.O.B. <laughs> or the Bob Club. Uh, it looks like Twitter is being stingy, at least on my phone, that it's not showing the live stream. It's just showing a link to the live stream. Yeah, so I'm that will be interesting. Uh, yeah. So Twitter sucks. I hate it. I wish Threads would get its act together so we could all leave that cesspool that is Twitter. But if you are somehow click the link and you want to interact with us, YouTube, Facebook, that's where you go. And of course, if you're listening to this, well, you should have been on YouTube and just chatted with us. We got the comment section open, so you can come and come ask us some questions. Uh, we got training camp next week. It's actually what a week was it a week from yesterday, or is it actually going to be today for veterans? I think I think veterans report a week from yesterday. Uh, rookies gotcha. report on the twenty second, which is this weekend. Yeah, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. All right, so uh, we'll we'll hit up some like training camp stuff just a little bit, but we got a lot to talk about today because on yeah. Sunday the Tennessee Titans signed DeAndre Hopkins finally. Our Nashville well, agreed to terms. Agreed, yeah, to, agreed terms. to terms. Uh, yeah, you don't. You got Des Bryant and uh, Matt Judon, the world's worst recruiter. Who, by the way, you pointed it out, but I've always thought. DeAndre Hopkins did not want to take that picture or at least be that close to Matthew Judon. The picture yeah. with the, take, the Chinese takeout or whatever they were fucking Failed on. the green line test. Bad. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. is bad. But we got a lot to talk about. We got Kevin Byard's remarks on an ESPN radio show about Ryan Tannehill. We got Mike Vrabel was on Busted with the Boys. We got DeAndre Hopkins. We got all got kinds ben, of stuff. Ben Jones comments about Tannehill on Buck Show. Oh, well, you know, I don't. I didn't listen to Buck Show, so... <laughs> But I'll be. I'll let you run with that one because I have no clue. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's see. Let's just go ahead. Listen, Bama Brad. I get it. This is the second time you bash threads. I got you. I got you last week. I didn't comment. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care about your threads opinion. And yes, eventually everything will turn into a cesspool because people cannot stop being the worst version of themselves when they are behind a keyboard. And that has nothing to do with 100%. you, Bama Brad. That is just a general thing. But I just, you know then maybe something else will come along. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's all you got to hope for is that something new comes along and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about what D good's talking about. I got a question. Why does national media hit hate Tannehill? That's a good question. That's why yeah. I pulled that fired clip. Um, so here we go. Deandre Hopkins sign. Uh, I saw today that a disease asked everybody, is it an overpay just the right no. amount or an underpay? Sure. Well, we don't know real the real terms, no. so I don't know how you can fucking ask that question. But on the surface, it looks like a good deal. We assume a signing bonus will kick in that is incorporated into this $12 million base that everybody keeps throwing around. I wish it's been my biggest so, complaint, among many complaints, that I just wish people would 
use the correct terminology because 12 million base is not technically should not include that term means something that's, entirely different. Yeah, that's but not as that's what they're all using. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in let me register a um educated guess here. Yeah. I, I think about 3.5 to 4, maybe even less. As far as his cap hit? Yeah. I think that's about right. Uh I think the guarantee is going to come in less than what everyone expects it to be. Um you know, even even it was less the number that I've heard is less than what I thought it was going to oh, be. Look at you, um, Mister. I got people in the got sources, some sauces, and uh, there will be void years. Wait so. a minute, is this coming from that Glizzy guy that gets in your Twitter mentions from time to time? Glizzy no, Neef. no, 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 no. I, did, I didn't Glizzy fork Neef. over any money Glizzy to, to Glizzy. <laughs> trying to charge you for his sources. The Glizzy dogs. No, yeah, no, yeah. no, uh, no Glizzy dogs here. Um, no, this is. Uh, I just, yeah, something, something, uh, it's an educated guess. Uh, An unconfirmed source a little bit. Yeah. I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a more favorable contract than the numbers that have been reported, which is not, shouldn't be surprising. Right. Isn't it always for everybody? (laughs) It shouldn't be surprising just because like when the agent, the agent feeds the, like the initial report out to Schefter, rap, rap sheet. In this case, Doug, uh, um, and the agent sends that stuff out. If they don't tell them how much money is guaranteed in the deal, that means it's a low guarantee. And so the fact that we don't know the guaranteed numbers, that means that that's going to be a low number. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's I going mean, to be a good, I think it's going to be a good deal. When it's of course, I mean, it was, I think obviously whoever DeAndre Hopkins signed with, it was ultimately going to be, look like a good deal when all the, all this stuff actually comes out. It may yeah. not sound like a good deal sometimes, but typically outside of the Kyler Murray deal, which I'll always say is one of the worst. That's one of the worst constructed NFL contracts I've ever seen. It's like Bobby Bonilla, like bad. It, it was <laughs> like, immediately bad too. It was immediately Before bad. even like all the co- you know video game stuff yeah. came out and everything else. But other than that, I mean, okay, so we've on your website, you've talked about what you've seen on film from DeAndre Hopkins on podcarski.com. Over on Stacking the Inbox, I talked about the data. So we got the data. We got the film. You know, there's a, uh, an article by Trajan today out on uh, StackingTheInbox.com about finding a balance with DeAndre Hopkins about the run-pass ratios. But I want to take us down a different path. It Doesn't this signing, combined with all the other clues, and I guess you could say... Um, happenings around the Titans facility signal that this team is going to pass more. I mean, we also kind of heard Mike Vrabel kind of allude to it and we'll get to that later because he kind of put, he's kind of come back around and said, run blocking is not the main priority anymore when all they've done between him and John Robson is, is that is like the first thing out of their fucking mouth. So they talked about it. A they, ton they talked about it. A ton. So maybe, they brought this on themselves. Maybe that was a talking point, but now it's not, I don't know. But it seems to me that if you look at who they tried to interview for offensive coordinator, ultimately they didn't, but who they tried, Matt Nagy, Eric Bieniemy, and the offensive lineman they brought in, the emphasis on maybe even pass-catching running backs, uh, not, you know, it kind of sounds weird, but also bringing, not re-signing Cody Hollister, not bringing him back, you know, keeping guys and then getting DeAndre Hopkins, it seems to me with all the comments, I'm not saying we're talking like 60% passing, 
but at least I think we're going to get like to maybe like 53%, you know, and that's, that's good. That's right. Right. It's good yeah. enough. I think it's going, yeah, I don't think we're, like I said, I think I said it on Twitter uh, this weekend when the Hopkins news came out, I, I don't think it's going to suddenly be like they're the chiefs and they throw the ball, you know, 70% of the time. And the running is just to keep, you know, the other team honest or run out the clock. I, I think this is going to be a small shift back towards like more middle of the pack. Like not, they aren't going to be like the most run heavy team in the NFL. Like they have been for the past basically five years. Um, but they will be like, you know, maybe 10th uh, run heaviest, you know, which would be good. That would be more balanced. That would be kind of more in the middle of the road and, and at least align them more with what, most of the good offenses. According to team with. rankings, they passed 50.91% of the time on all offensive plays in 2022. That sounds a little high, but, you know, maybe it's because they low. played. But, they, but it's also, that is 27th in the NFL. Uh, yeah. Chicago, obviously dead last. Atlanta, then Baltimore, Philadelphia, Carolina, then Tennessee. Tennessee has a higher whole game pass rate because what gets thrown around by Warren Sharp which is kind of like misleading is early down pass rates. Like he doesn't really put that in his tweets anymore, but that's what he always talks about. And obviously, you know, right above Tennessee at 51.35% is San Francisco. So obviously there is a, a, a difference between, and we've always said this, and I, this has always been Vrabel's key to the passing game. And one of his tenets of winning football games is passing efficiency and being protective with the ball, but also limiting turnovers, but also being efficient, high passer ratings. Uh, see, Kenneth has put that also in there, talking about once more efficient passing on first, second down. And I agree. And there, there But there is a difference between passing a lot and passion, passing efficiency. Right. And I don't, I think that eventually, where if you did 55%, Okay, that would have put you at 20th in the NFL, which it sounds crazy, right? You pass 55% of the time, but that would put you at 20th in the NFL. And that is probably pretty good for Tennessee. Yeah, I think that's probably about the right target. Because, uh, in look, I mean, Philadelphia, like there's some really good offenses down there that run the ball a lot. The difference is they run the ball well and efficiently. The Titans did not run the ball well last year. I know Derrick Henry got stats and everything but they were not a good running team. Like their, their efficiency metrics, their success rates, their awful. yards per attempt, all of them were just dreadful running. You the go, football. Listen, they were not a good, they were not a good run team. They were not a good pass team. They were yeah. a bad offense all around. Where what we're saying where it's awful and terrible. You're probably like, yeah, we know. No, go to stacking the subscribe and go read my three part data series. And you're gonna be like, whoa, this is a lot worse than what I thought. Cause it's actually is. It was so much worse than what you really thought. Like from a efficiency play calling, you know, how they chose and when they chose plays, it was way, way worse than what you initially thought. Yeah, it's terrible. It, it was a bad offense. So I, I do think they've been dropping breadcrumbs all offseason. I know some people are just gonna say, Well, I'm not gonna believe it because this team always runs the ball and always has since. You know, they came to Tennessee, basically. But I don't know. I, I guess, like, before before the, the Oilers moved to Tennessee, what were they known for? They were known for Warren Moon and, like, throwing the ball all over the yard. So I don't think this is, like, 
and Adams family dictate that the, we are going to run the ball and play defense and all this. I, I think it's just this is the way that the, the cookies have crumbled over the years, that this team has been better set up to run the football. They've tried. They've tried to be better passing the football, and they drafted a bunch of quarterbacks in the top ten. They drafted a bunch of wide receivers in the first round. None of them have really panned out, and I think that's more the – issue of why this team continues to fall back on running and defense is because they just haven't been able to find the right guys to throw the ball to catch the ball to do the things through the air that you need to do to be one of those teams that can you know light up the scoreboard so and we've gotten what we've gotten because we drafted uh Vince Young because we drafted Jake Locker because we drafted Marcus Mariota uh and not you know Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow or one of these guys who can actually do it uh at an elite level so yeah i i think they have been hinting all offseason with their actions not even with their words with their actions that they are going to throw the football more this year and that they want to throw the football more this year and i think ultimately if you asked rabel he'd probably not even say more just more efficiently and and that's fine you know that's fair but part of that comes with actually being like if you're going to be more efficient you're going to want to do it more right so I think that's going to kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy if they are able to be more efficient passing the football. Well, we talk about the 2020 offense because all of – oh, well, here you go. Look at this, your boy. Finally, you guys can quit fucking talking about it. George Fant coming in for a workout. will sign if all goes well per Jordan Schultz. Thank you, James. Is it Nissan or Nissan? You can put it in there. It doesn't really matter. Probably – We'll we'll forget next episode by the time I'm terrible with the learning last names anymore. Um, but George Fant coming in, your boy, and about like thirty thousand other Titans analyst boys, uh, boy, I guess uh, you could say. But he's here, Nissan. Okay, there we go. If I can remember that, I'll be very, very uh good. Um, but I want to talk about the 2020 offense because this also kind of ties into Bayard's comments, but also. What D Good asked about uh, why does national media hate Tannehill? But we're also talking about run pass rates. The pass rate for the Tennessee Titans under Art Smith in 2020, one of the most prolific offenses going for the Tennessee Titans and one of the best ones in the NFL at the time, 49.72% pass rate. But they pass so efficiently. Like, I think... I think that's what people have been missing, what we're harping on. But this is what DeAndre Hopkins means. If they bring in George Fant as well, they know that, okay, we they're they're in all in mode. Like, right? I mean, and now we're kind of venturing to a different topic. Let's let's focus. Let's let's focus real quick. Okay. Cause I could go in multiple directions and this could end up being a long episode. But DeAndre Hopkins obviously signals they're gonna pass more. And DeAndre Hopkins, based on the data based on your film, my data, your film, and other people that back up our opinions that know more, way more about the game of football. This is a, he's coming in to be, he is the Tennessee Titans wide receiver one until Traylon Burks rises to the occasion to take it from him. And I am very excited for this signing because he still got it. And he's going to have a chip on his shoulder and he's going to have incentive to play well to earn incentives. So at this point, this is going to be, I think, 
this to me, it's always been it's not about Eric Molds, Julio Jones, Andre Johnson, all these older guys that kind of busted out because they were they weren't as they they came to Tennessee as a last ditch effort almost. <laughs> like Julio Jones was a little bit different, but Julio yeah. Jones just couldn't overcome the injury that he suffered and he couldn't overcome it with Tom Brady being the third or fourth option. He couldn't do he couldn't do anything. And Caleb, uh, we'll we'll be talking a little bit more about George Fant, but we did get into it just a tad bit uh, a little bit earlier. But we haven't really dove into it. Um, but so to me, it's like, okay, DeAndre Hopkins is here, Traylon Burks is here, Chig Conquo is here, and it changes everything, everything about how you have felt about this team and. To me, it doesn't really change much because I'm still not convinced about their playoff chances and performances. Like you talk about people say, well, I have to see it to believe it. That's just something I have to see to believe. I've seen, I've been burnt too many times now, but I do think that you're talking about a team that went from AFC South contenders in quotation marks because I think they were going to win the AFC South anyway to AFC South locks, in my opinion. Like they're, they're making it. They're a lot. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I wouldn't call them a lock for me. Uh, I think this – I fall more in the line of – and I heard you and Braden talk about this on a football show a little bit. I'm more in the line of Braden in that this moves them from, like, kind of the 1B uh, behind the Jaguars. Like, I thought they would be not too far off of Jacksonville, but I didn't think they were going to be – I didn't think they were on the same level. Now I think they're on the same level. I, I think this is a team that's just as good as Jacksonville. Um, you know, and and has should be about 50-50 to win the division. I, I I think Hopkins makes a big difference, and he makes a big difference on how I view this team because look, everything on this offense besides Derrick Henry was a stretch, in my opinion, uh heading into the season. But besides Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, I should say that. Um Traylon Burks as wide receiver one was a stretch. Kyle Phillips as wide receiver two was a stretch. Uh NWI, Chris Moore as wide receiver three, would whoever you want to put there. It's a stretch. Now you bump bump all those guys down a peg. Uh, Hopkins slides in. He may not be like he's. I don't think he's like an elite elite number one anymore. I think he's more of a middle of the road number one. Like he's probably a top fifteen to you know twenty ish wide receiver in the league currently, um, as far as just ability and and production and and all that good stuff. But that's that's good. You can you can live with that as your wide receiver one, especially if you have Burks being, you know, a high end wide receiver two at this point, because he's got a lot of talent and a lot of ability. And like, you know, obviously we've been excited about him all offseason, what we've heard about him, what we've heard, you know, how he's looked uh, at training camp, the, the things he said, everything has been positive, positive, positive regarding Traylon Burks. So. I still think a Traylon Burke's breakout season could come. It's just now the Titans aren't 100% relying on it because that was the thing. Like, if Burks didn't break out, this offense was going to be fucking dreadful, right? Like, it was going to be awful because even if you're the biggest Kyle Phillips fan in the world, he's not ready to be the number one target on a, on a you know, playoff offense. I mean, that's just not where he is in his career progression, right? So... I think this moves everybody into the seat on the bus that they need to be in. And now the question, the biggest question is, 
did you fix the offensive line well enough? Which I, I've talked about my doubts on that all offseason. Um, I think adding Fant would help not only in the fact that he kind of is a band-aid for the Nicholas Petit Frere situation for the first six games, but also whenever Nicholas Petit Frere comes back, let's say Andre Dillard is not good or stinks or gets hurt again because he's not a guy with a perfect bill of health either. Uh, Fant sliding in at left tackle is way better than like trying to stick to Marco Jones there or trying to move Skaronsky out there and then putting someone else in at left guard. Like it's just a way better option. And it gives the team a little bit of like, there's a cushion there, which is what depth is supposed to be anyway. So Fant would help me, you know, buy into this team a little bit more for sure. It, it gives their offensive line a little bit better floor because I don't think Fant's not going to be uh, Dennis Daly, right? Like he's not an elite player. He's not a guy that's going to come out and be Trent Williams, but he's also not going to be the guy that gets you beat every single game that he's on the field. So um I, I think they are moving in the right direction, but Hopkins, yeah, totally changes my outlook on what this team can be, what their ceiling is, because there is a possibility, and I'm not, I've always maintained that this is within the realm of outcomes, right? That Dillard's great, and Dillard, you know, clicks at left tackle, and Scaronzi comes in and is like, you know, Quentin Nelson 2.0 and, and makes all pro as a rookie or whatever. And the offensive line is way better than we think it, it it is on paper, right? And then you've got all these weapons, and then the offense could actually be, like, really good. And Tim Kelly could be a good offensive coordinator. And, like, maybe this team is actually, like, closer to the 2021 team. Uh, than, 2020. Well, no, well, I'm saying 2020. Oh, in team. terms of wins? In, in terms of, like, yeah. Being like that the offense, one the offense and, sucked. <laughs> well, yeah, the offense, the offense was rough, which – also is something that I think we should talk about in that I want to see DeAndre Hopkins practicing in, in training. Yes. Camp. I like, said that. I said that on Mondays of football show. Like to me, that's so important because the Julio Jones yeah. thing where he didn't practice in this team and they were shuffling their offensive line, Julio Jones and AJ Brown just never were at practice hardly except yeah. for on the sidelines. And to me, it's like, where does, where when do these all pieces actually see the field and how much throughout the summer because that to me is the that to me and I said on Monday on a football show is the biggest question I have about training camp like the thing I am watching is how often DeAndre Hopkins is out there catching balls from Ryan Tannehill in seven on sevens and 11 on 11s yeah absolutely because I mean look and think about like, and I mentioned this in my piece on paulkoharski.com, one of Hopkins' best or most famous uh, attributes is his ability to win on these like back shoulder fades, right? Well, that's a, a timing and feel thing that comes with repetition with the quarterback. You have to be on the same page. You have to both know when the ball needs to come out, where it needs to be placed, all of that stuff. That's something that's only going to work if they're repping it out and practice consistently. And, and, and I also think Tannehill needs to be able to build that trust. And look, you can watch DeAndre Hopkins on tape and see him make these like crazy catches and all this stuff and like understand what that is. But until you go out to practice and you're able to throw up, like, you know, you get some quick pressure that you weren't expecting. You just say, all right, fuck it. I'm going to put it in the Hopkins area and let him go make a play. Until he's able to do that in practice a few times, it's harder for Tannehill to trust that in the game 
to the level that he needs to be able to trust it. Right. And so I think that's also an important factor. Like he needs to be practicing and, and he I, don't make him go, you know, a hundred percent all every day. You know, he doesn't need to be doing the same schedule as the rookies. Right. He needs to have his veteran rest days. They need to manage his body, all that stuff. I get that. So I'm not going to freak out the first time he's on a maintenance day, you know, on a, on a Friday at practice or whatever, but it doesn't need to be maintenance weeks. It doesn't need to be like he pulls a hammy and he shut down until the regular season starts. He needs to be out there on a consistent basis, building that rapport with Tannehill, because I think that Julio thing it affected their ability to link up during the season. They just never looked like they were on the same page, uh, you know, consistently. I mean, I know he had the the big game against um, Seattle pretty early, uh, but it Could just never felt. in for a touchdown, though. Well, I mean, that's true. Break. That's true. Well, that's not going to be a problem with Hopkins. Hopkins yeah. is unbelievable. Hopkins made that same are. catch week one of the, yeah. against the Titans, remember? Yeah. He is unbelievable about knowing where his feet are and like all the stuff along the sidelines. Like he is so it's his feel for the game is the best I've ever seen of any wide receiver, like outside of maybe Jerry Rice, like maybe Jerry Rice, but like just feel for the game. I'm not talking about all the other stuff. Feel for the game, natural, like just intuition, body control. Unbelievable. Like he's the best I've ever watched on like a day to day basis. It's it's crazy. And I can't wait to see him do that here and i hope he just teaches Traylon burks how to push off on every play because why not all right mike you've been a big proponent of extending uh average edge rusher harold landry to make room. not extending not extending well sorry restructuring, restructuring, yeah. which is even worse because you're just adding you make it harder to get out of the contract of an average player but you you've been a big proponent of that and we do yeah. have a couple of questions about who how are we how are they going to create this cap space because they have these two players potentially which obviously they could do some hoodoo and push money off into next year with George Fan and you know like do a base salary give them a big you know signing bonus up front then spread that out if they want to and then you still got Will Levis out there so and you want some money to play with right you I mean you need some money to play with for throughout the season i mean is that still your is that your Number one choice and your number one prediction, like most likely, or is it like that's your most likely thought, but you would rather the Titans do this? I think it's both. For me, it's both. Because here's the thing. Anything that you do with anyone else, for the most part, I, I, I don't know if there's maybe another deal that, like Imani Hooker, I guess you could probably do, but it wouldn't save you as much money. Um, and you're doing that with a player who's more likely to be injured, all that stuff. Um Anybody else, you're going to have to guarantee new money. Um, with Landry, you're not guaranteeing any new money. You're just changing for what years those are accounted for. And he's got the longest deal currently of all your veterans on the roster. So you can spread it over the most amount of years. So from a year-by-year -year standpoint, it's the smallest hit. And the fact of the matter is, like, because the the, the way to think about this, $2024 are not as valuable as $2023. Um, both because like you can't spend them right now and you know the NFL is all all about like right now anyways but also the salary cap's going to go up another 20 25 million dollars next year so literally those dollars are worth less in that year as opposed to next year and if you go further out if you go to 2025 26 27 they're worth even less so 
it it always makes sense to push those cap hits out into the future if they're already guaranteed money because it's literally not changing anything except for when those are accounted for so i mean i get like it's it's money that if you decided to cut Harold Landry next off season would accelerate onto the cap. But I, I just don't, I think he's going to continue to be able to play at a pretty high level unless he's just completely ruined by this knee injury, which just doesn't really happen I mean, anymore. He, he doesn't to, really play at a high level anyway, but that's he's just, pretty good. He's, he's pretty all good. Right. He's all right. He was, he was uh, some, um, 11th in sacks, I think between 2019 and 2021. Oh, there's no way that that can be no, right. I think that's right. Yeah. No, because he hardly had any sex. No, uh, he had between, like over 20, he had like 26 sex or something like that between those from three when? seasons. From 2019 to 2021. Because he had like nine and a half and then five he had and like five, right? five and then 12. He had the 12, 12 sex season. He had a 12 uh, sex 20, season? Did I mean, yeah, I 2021. That, uh, oh, was that 12? I thought that was the nine season. Yeah, no, 20, 2019, he had nine. And then, so yeah, he's he was like 11th in sacks in the NFL over that three-year period. So he's okay, a pretty, so no, he's a pretty no, good player. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was reading it the other way. Nine, 5.5, and 12. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I just there's no way. I, I still don't think that's 11th, but. It um, is, it is. I just put them all. It is? It's 11th? 11th. Okay, so a lot of cleanup sacks, as we know, because everybody else has to do the work for him, and those uh, are only good when there's someone else around him. He is also eighth in pressures uh, between that time period. So here's the thing is that I think it's going to be Kevin Byard. And I think that's the best one to do is Kevin Byard and do an extension on Kevin Byard and get everything, get everything settled, get, get, let him be a Titan for the remainder of the way, get him paid and be done with it. I am just not a fan of messing with, with Harold Landry's already overpaid contract. So well, I would Byard rather, already has an overpaid contract. Yeah, but if you do an extension, you can make that not look overpaid anymore, and it, it changes I mean, your numbers around. It's got to be accounted for somewhere, though. Yeah, it and does. You, you I mean, it could, like you could convert the... it to an entire signing bonus, which then is spread out over the four years. I mean, the I don't. I think the problem is is the cap hit makes it makes it look way worse because of restructures. Now you right. can get out of a Which bad restructuring. An extension is not laundry. a restructure. Well, yeah. Again, it looks bad because it's a restructure. So it would be a bad contract. It would be a bad move. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, don't make the same mistakes the previous regime did. I, I, I think it would be a mistake to extend Bayard into like his mid 30 seasons. I just I don't think that's the way that they need to go. I, I don't I don't know I don't know how well Bayard's game is going to Bayard age. love Harold Landry. What a world. I mean Landry's what five years younger or something like that. I mean he's uh he's just in a different phase of his career. And he's got know, a longer man. contract already. It's I mean, he's already it's already stuff. guaranteed money. You're not guaranteeing any new money. You're just moving it around. So you're just I think making it's it harder the, to cut, and that's exactly this. It makes it harder to cut buyer too. This sounds ir- no, it doesn't because you can put in an out in the contract to, that's an earlier out. But you're going to have to guarantee him. You're going to have to guarantee him new money if you give yeah. him additional money. So if he yeah. sucks this year. And all of a sudden, his cap hit is looking really, really bad. You can't cut him after next year. You, you're stuck with him at that point. 
Yeah, but you're not going to want to cut him after next year anyway. He's, Maybe he's not. not. He's going to be I good. Mean, we're talking about changing Landry's like per year salary cap hits by like $2 million per year. Yeah. I mean, it's not a I mean, huge deal. It's, it sounds like a huge deal. Anyway, uh, you know, you just don't mess with bad players' contracts, bad contracts. It's just well, it's Landry's like, not a bad player, so that's good. Well, he's not a great one. So um, I think that then you would look at Henry. I don't know if they're going to do anything with the Tannehill contract, and I don't know if they're going to extend him it, or anything or put themselves in a position where they're kind of like regretting they didn't extend him. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if maybe it's, that's a resolution towards the beginning of the season where they like they went through all of training camp. They're like, man, these guys are not good behind him. These guys are not the future, which would suck because they traded away draft picks. But I just I feel like the the I feel like Tannehill would be like the least and likely last resort. I I don't know if I'd call him the the last resort just because like I don't know getting. Hopkins, although my hunch on Hopkins is that this is really not a two-year deal. It's a one-year deal with a uh, option, a team option for a second year. Basically, like it won't be yeah. like they don't really do player options much in, in NFL contracts, but he won't have a lot of guaranteed money, if any, in 2024, I don't believe. So, but the fact that they've given themselves that opportunity, maybe they would rather have Tannehill around for you know one more run at this thing with him i i don't know i have you seen this kyle pitts workout video it just popped up on my twitter feed and like no it is it's like james level weird looking without the sound on oh dear uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, it looks really weird um that's a high bar so yeah what do you think is the chances of anything with derrick henry because i do think that that is to me that may be second most likely is that they do something with derrick henry um I mean, can DeAndre Hopkins sort of like relieve some pressure and buy you another year of Derrick Henry viability or maybe two years? I mean, we we talk about declines with Derrick Henry, declines with running backs, but it's also like, it's really weird. Like I go back and I look at a few people's stats because we were talking in a group chat the other day about uh, Champ Bailey. And like, man, nobody really talks about Champ Bailey. And I feel like we as a society need to talk about more because to me, he's like a top three corner of all time. I mean, he was awesome at times. He was great. But that also led me to think about like Donald Driver. And so I went and looked at the stats for Donald Driver. And like from 29 to 34, he had six consecutive 1,000 yard seasons, which was insane to, I didn't even know he was that old. Like I knew he's old, but I didn't know he was that old during that span of like fantasy football, like, the height of fantasy football. I did not understand yeah. that he was that old. And so I look at guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Derrick Henry. I'm like, well, if Donald Driver could do it, can't these guys do it? Like, it just kind of feels like these guys could do the same. Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Part of me wonders if this whole thing about running back salaries and everything else like that, and obviously Henry's passionate about that. Um, is he going to take a deal that's like, reasonable for an extension at this point i mean uh, i would imagine he's going to try to hold out to get paid like crazy um so i can't imagine him accepting an extension that's that the team would want to to sign at this point because i yeah i just i just don't know that that's the headspace he's going to be in um now obviously i think the plan when they took will levis 
this year, and and really this was a, probably the plan when they took Malik Willis the year before, was that hopefully they can hand off the baton at quarterback at the end of Tannehill's contract here. So I, I I do think that that's their preferred path forward because look, I mean, we talk about this big, you know, uh, salary cap space thing that they've got next year where they had like $98 million in space for 2024. That gets eaten up pretty quick. If you extend Tannehill, Henry and Hopkins and you bring back Hopkins for that second year of his deal, that that's going to go away quick. I mean, that, that basically is what you end up spending your money on. So I guess it's all going to depend to me on what does this year look like? And then you make the decision. I, I just don't know that you can extend those guys or at least not multiple of those guys, maybe one uh, yeah. now. Uh, it, it's yeah. I, I just think they're, they've kind of played this two timelines thing out all off season where it's like, we're, we are going to try this year, but also like we're getting ready to make this transition to Levis and Spears and a different offense. but. It, that would feel like kind of a, I don't know, like you'd you'd be really committing to like the right now and next year without even knowing if this is going to work. Well, we're talking about all these players, and there, there. You put out a tweet recently, or I, I, maybe you're. I fucking hate the Twitter app for the computer. Let me get it, let me get to my Twitter desktop on the browser real quick. But you, you put out like a top 10 list. Where would you slot in Hopkins as t- top 10? Was it best players since I'm having to search it? Yeah, as the yeah, I put fill in the blank. DeAndre Hopkins is the Titans blank best player. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I think this brought up an interesting discussion because in our chat with Superhorn uh, of Music City Miracles Broadway Sports fame back in the day, um, he brought up that there needs i think people need to include value in in this because yeah. i look at it and i think okay you got simmons henry hopkins byard autry Tannehill, landry the guy that you want to restructure all the way down seven barely above the punter at uh ryan stonehouse burks and chick okay i think that's a pretty good list for the most part um but if you were doing the most valuable does quarterback get an unfair advantage because the wins above replacement always lean heavily towards the quarterback? Definitely, because I, I, I don't know how you could not put Tannehill number one if you're doing it based on value, because if you took him off of this roster, it makes the team significantly worse, more so than taking anyone else off the roster. And, and I mean, it's just the nature of the position. And look, it, it's uh <laughs> it she keeps is, eating uh, wood. I don't. I don't know what to do with her. Okay, other than I'm gonna have to toss now. her out. <laughs> uh, but the, I think Tannehill. If you take him off the field, he hurts you. Like him coming off the field hurts worse than any other player. And I mean, we saw it in 2021, right? When like Henry got hurt, they were able to keep it afloat. And then we saw last year, Tannehill gets hurt. They were not able to keep it afloat on offense without Tannehill. Um, and, and even when Tannehill was pretty banged up down the stretch and, and not 100%. So I think I think it has to be Tannehill number one, even if he's not the best player on the team, you know, like as far as best at his position. Well, let me ask you this, because this brings us into what Bayard has said on, uh, I they, they still call it Keyshawn, J-Will. Keyshawn, J-Will, and... Um, 
what was the uh is it Harry or something? I don't I don't know. I have literally never watched that show. I, well, they, now they get replaced them. Of course, they fired all those guys, and now it's got some some woman named Amber on there. But Kevin Byard was on there talking about the Tannehill disrespect. D. Goods talk about the Tannehill disrespect. We've talked about Tannehill disrespect. So I want to ask you a question because this goes back to the top ten question. Yeah. How much should projecting a quarterback's career or even a player's career? Because ESPN did all these top ten. Um, did all these top 10 lists that you, you retweeted every one of them because you love that stupid. I love that. I love that series. I've I've followed it every off season. I just think it's interesting to see what executives and coaches around the league think of, you know, but if you were to look at the stats since joining the Tennessee Titans and Ike Heron, hair Harvitz or Ian Harvitz, I'm really just butchering names today. Um, Ian Harditz said, that the Tannehill slander is out of control. He's ninth since 2019 in EPA per dropback, six in passer rating, fourth in yards per attempt, six in adjusted yards per attempt, 10th in completion rate, and 10th in touchdown interception ratio. I, the, you make these top 10 lists, and everybody, I think, is weighing heavily the projection instead of weighing heavily the facts. So, I ask you this, by all those right there, say all those metrics, say that Ryan Tannehill has performed like a top 10 quarterback, even through the darkest moments of 2021 and 2022, when he's throwing to nobody and has the worst offensive line in 2022, still performing at a high level. And I think you could argue that he was, a. I think he ended up being and I think you could argue a top 13 or 15 quarterback last year just based on his efficiency stats. Why does, with, with these facts, with the myriad of games that we have, why do, and this is not just for Ryan Tannehill, but this kind of goes into it, why are players not giving a little bit more oomph for what they've done instead of what they may do? I think it comes down to, I mean... NFL executives, coaches, evaluators aren't immune to, I think, the power of narrative around the league in the idea that, you know, Tannehill is a mediocre quarterback is really or even like a bad quarterback. I feel like he's a punchline, you know, a a lot for the national media of, you know, uh, he gets carried by Henry, all this stuff that we know watching this team closely is not really true, or at least most of us who watch this team closely know that that's not really true. Um, I definitely think he is wildly underrated. And I, I do think he's a top 15 quarterback. I think he's, you know, probably in that 10 to 15 range. Um, and, you know, I do think there has to be some, some combination with the stats because if you just look at efficiency stats his efficiency numbers are really good if you look at his volume stats they're not so good because the Titans don't pass the ball a ton which isn't his fault he can only do with what opportunities he gets you know but there is something to the idea I think that if you can do it at a similar efficiency at a higher volume that's better um so to me, I think he's in that, I do think he's in that 10 to 15 range. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he has a lot of good traits. I think he's a good leader. 
I think he's a, a smart quarterback. I think he uh, gets them in the right plays more often than not. I think the coaching staff has consistently said that about him. He is a very accurate thrower of the football. He has good arm strength. He's a good thrower of the ball downfield. He's tough as shit. Um, and there's also some other things. I don't love his pocket presence. I think he takes too many sacks. I think he's, uh, you know, prone to occasionally just falling into a routine and and maybe getting a little bit, you know, too comfortable just going through the the motions, you know, and not not keeping his eyes downfield or keeping his eyes where they need to be. So there's some pluses and minuses. And look, he's never going to be a playmaker. That And ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to, why he gets underrated. He's never going to be a playmaker. He is just a distributor of the football. And that sometimes is exactly what you need. And I think for the Titans, a lot more often than not, than not the last four years, that has been what they've needed. But when you put them against the Joe Burrows and the Patrick Mahomeses and the Justin Herberts and all these other guys who can make something out of nothing, people are always going to gravitate towards the guy that has that special ability. And that's why Tannehill gets left out of those conversations. And it's fair. And I, like, look, if Will Levis proves to have that special ability to be able to make plays out of structure and and kind of do things that, that Tannehill can't do, then he's probably going to end up being a better quarterback um, than Tannehill is. But we don't know that yet because he hasn't done anything at the NFL level. But I think that's really what it comes down to with Tannehill and perception. You can't get to the playoffs without be, without having a good uh, team, but this team has thrived, has always gotten to the playoffs with Ryan Tannehill at the helm, and that is, and he's part of the reason why because he keeps at least some kind of cohesiveness to this offensive unit. And last year was the first year he wasn't able to finish out a season. They missed the playoffs, and they probably would have made the playoffs had he been healthy all year. Yeah, I think it's a hundred percent chance they beat Jacksonville with him at yes. under center. You know, so Kevin Byard agrees, and he's sick of it. He's sick of your shit. He was on Kayshawn, Jay, Will, and Max, and uh, on July seventeenth, so that would have been uh, Monday. He was there on Monday, and uh, he he popped on the radio, and he was he was asked and talked about the Ryan Tannehill slander and the viewpoint from the outside looking in. Injuries. This guy's been phenomenal. And um, so, yeah, I, I do kind of think it's a little bit of disrespect because, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not talked about with the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Islands, but we're always there. And I think when you got a guy like Tannehill, we always have a shot to go and make a run and go win ball games. So we understand that, you know, teams have to plan for the future and things like that. But Ryan Tannehill is still a really, really, really great quarterback. And I'm excited to go into another season with Ryan Tannehill uh, as our quarterback. You look now, at this guy's record. Oh, sorry. That went, that had, I had on repeat, apparently. Uh, so, I think this is not just team speak or whatever, okay? Because if you if you notice, most players would just say, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He says, look, he's not a Mahomes or a Burrow. I mean, he may have said Mahomes or Allen, but he, he, said, he basically said he wasn't a top two. But he said he's still a really, really good quarterback. And this is everybody's beloved leader, by the way, Kevin, Kevin Byard, who everybody respects, except for you. And you you want to see him out in the street and not get paid, but Kevin Byard, I and I think that is the sentiment on this team with this staff. And I I I waver back and forth whether Ryan Tannehill is going to be here next year or not, because I think there's a possibility because he's so well liked and he does what needs to be done and he's tough as shit. So this is going to tie into what I was kind of in my 
haphazardly put notes I sent you about what we were going to talk about. The, my biggest takeaway from the quarterback Netflix thing was not only were we right about Marcus, spoiler alert, we were right about what, what he, that he quit, but my biggest, my biggest takeaway is that Kirk Cousins is the toughest son of a bitch out of, outside of Patrick Mahomes, because they also show, you know, him struggling through his injury. But Kirk Cousins, man, a team can do a whole lot worse than Kirk Cousins and Ryan Daniel. Kirk Cousins has been a quarterback that I've always thought has been severely underrated throughout his whole career. And that man puts his body on the line, toughs it out, grits it out. And I, I felt like, you could put Ryan Tannehill, 2021 Ryan Tannehill, and use AI and put it on Kirk Cousins' face. And I thought it would have been the same storyline. Like, it was like just him getting the shit kicked out of him, except for Kirk Cousins was, you know, had a bunch of people to throw to that were available almost every week. But it just felt like, to me, Ryan Tannehill's severely underrated. And I think what fans are missing, what media is missing, what national media is missing, is the human element of what Ryan Tannehill is and what he means to this team. And this team has bought in to Ryan Tannehill as their leader, as a quarterback, as a guy that can get them. They think, because, you know, everybody said, you know, Mike Vrabel, John Robinson said, we got to be better around Ryan Tannehill. We got to be better around Ryan Tannehill. Everybody there believes that they could win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. There's a difference between belief and reality of it actually happening, but they have belief in Ryan Tannehill that even with the the three interceptions, even with some up and down play, they believe that they can win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill, that Ryan Tannehill and this team can win the Super Bowl. And they are bought in, and I think this is a dangerous, dangerous team because they are all bought in. I mean, I definitely think they believe in Tannehill. And and Ben Jones was on Buck Rising's show this week. He's He did like a full hour with him, I guess, at the SEC Media Days. And he talked about Tannehill. And, you know, his his sentiments were almost exactly the same as Byard's in that clip in that he, he said the amount of stuff that Tannehill does for this team is criminally underrated. Um, he, he said, you know, that, that guy – is a leader they love him in that locker room they believe in him and just like what you just said it it, it was almost to a t so it definitely worth checking out to to listen to his comments there but yeah i think this team definitely believes in Tannehill, and and he is their leader still so i i think it's i think the fan base and jones ben jones even went so far as to say that the fan base you know, bagging on him is just completely unfair. He he said that if you knew what goes on in that building, you would never say a bad word about Ryan Tannehill. And and he even talked about, you know, how much of a difference he made when he stepped in in 2019. And, and you know, it, it, that's not Marcus Mariota slander. Jones even said, you know, Mariota is one of his best friends. But he said when Tannehill came in, it was just a totally different thing. Um, and everyone believed all of a sudden and, and, you know, they really took off from there. So I, I think Tannehill's place in the NFL is complicated because of the fact that, you know, the playoff success isn't there. Um, and he just, he, he gained a reputation in Miami that even when he had like the red hot start in Tennessee in 2019 and 2020, 
it just stuck with him. Like it, he just couldn't shake it. it. Then it became, it was Henry, you know, that carried him or, or AJ Brown was making him look good or whatever. When the fact of the matter is those guys were there in 2019 on an offense that was fucking dreadful until Ryan Tannehill stepped into the quarterback spot. And then all of a sudden it looked a lot better. And those guys were able to to play and show off their skills too. So I think all, a lot of guys in that locker room still remember that. And, uh, and that matters and means something to them. And so I do think, I think, I think Tannehill is, I, you know, we could have the debate about Steve McNair and Ryan Tannehill, I think, cause you know, their accomplishments are not, terribly dissimilar to be honest um about whether who's the best quarterback in the titans era of this franchise but i i think people are completely underrating what he is uh to a large degree in this fan base he is a good quarterback and like you said a kirk cousins could do a lot fucking worse like it's easy to be a punchline and stuff like that or, or to make fun of these guys because they you know aren't Mahomes or they aren't Burrow or Allen or whatever. But there's definitely another side of that coin where you're looking at, you know, Baker Mayfield or or Jameis Winston or guys like that that are just way, way worse and do not give you a chance to win like Cousins and Tannehill and, and guys like that do. Well, let's talk about Mike Vrabel. Uh, we, we alluded to it earlier about what Mike Vrabel said about on busting with the boys he's on busting with the boys which is is a must watch in my opinion episode uh yeah, the last definitely. episode of busting the boys i watched was uh with mike Vrabel. so uh i may have done delaney walker in between then um but th- this was really good uh really long really detailed some you get a, they they push him to get out of some coach speak but then he talks about the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. He talks and he mentions uh, Traylon Burks and, and Kyle Phillips as their main job is not to block and run block, which is, which is crazy because that's basically the, what do you look for in a wide receiver? It was used to be a robot, blah, blah, beep, blah, boop, boop, run block, blah, 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 boop, boop, run block. Like it was just ridiculous. And now it's like all of a sudden when I guess he's not in front of the microphones and maybe he's just been trolling everybody. But now he's like, he's, you know, on bus with the boys all laid back and eh, their first job's not run blocking, which to me again, signals this team is moving in a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. I, and again, it's just another breadcrumb in, you know, an off season full of them that they're going to throw the football. And, and I did find it very interesting that Brable mentioned three wide receivers by name in that clip, Hopkins, Burks, and Kyle Phillips. And if that doesn't tell you exactly what they're planning to do on offense, I don't know what does. This is going to be, those are going to be the three receivers that are going to get the volume targets, plus a Conquo, of course, at, at the tight end position. But it's going to be those three, like NWI, Chris Moore, those are your wide receiver four, wide receiver five, on this roster, which is exactly where they should be. And by the way, NWI is a wide receiver five or four, depending on which order you want to have Chris Moore in. I would assume wonderful. That's a great thing because guess what? He's an awesome special teams player, which is what you want out of those, those kind of bottom of the roster receiver roles. He can back up all three positions and and is a smart player. Who's not going to get you in trouble. So if anybody gets hurt, you can throw NWI into the game 
and he can line up and be in the right spot and do the right thing. That is so important because it gives you the flexibility in your roster to not have to keep like six wide receivers uh, on the game day roster. You can put some more numbers elsewhere if you want to, because you have somebody who you can just plug in to the slot or to the Z or to the X, wherever you want them uh, in NWI. So look, NWI, I know he gets so much shit. He is an asset to this team now that he is in the right spot, according to his talent and skill set. So happy, happy to have him back with the Titans this year, to be honest. The, um, I thought it was interesting. I want to, I want, before we get to more variable comments, Denzel Mims, I think it's an utter disgrace that people think that Denzel Mims would come in and compete with NWI and Chris Moore when he's clearly, clearly been given opportunities and he's done nothing with them. And he would be contented with Colton Dow. I'm out on adding Denzel Mims to, unless it's like a vet men of like, whatever, probably like $500,000, $600,000. But like, give me a break. This I've seen too much pro Denzel Mims stuff, which again leads me to the fact that I guess nobody just watches other teams anymore. It's like, you know, people that complain about the Tennessee Titans and make fun of Ryan Tannehill are the same people laughing at Titans fans who's like, you want fucking Denzel Mims? Good luck. I mean, I think there's a lot of residual draft stuff with him that you're like, he's big, he's fast, you know, he's got like, he, he had the second round pred- pedigree, all that, that people are still intrigued by him just because the Jets have been so dysfunctional during the entire time he's been there. And it's like, well, maybe if he went to a different spot, you could see something different. But the problem with him, and going back to like what I just mentioned, he's not, he doesn't play special teams. He played three special team snaps total in his entire career. Um, so you can't play him on special teams. And if you brought him in, he's not going to be, he's not going to beat out Kyle Phillips. Like, look, he's just not, I, I, I he ain't going to beat out NWI and Chris Moore. I hate to break it to you. He's just, I don't, not. I don't think he probably would either. Um, I mean, the NWI's had a more productive career than, than, uh, than Denzel Mims. They've so, been in the league the same amount of time, right? I think so. Three yeah, seasons? I think they've yeah. both been here for three years. So yeah, I think Westbrook <laughs> Akine has been better than Denzel Mims. So it, it is kind of just a, hey, this is a guy that's different and, uh, you know, not the same old name that we've been seeing. Um, but I don't think he's any better. And and ultimately, you know, if he was free, would, would I put in a waiver claim for him? Maybe just to bring him in and see if he's better than Colton Dowell. I don't, know, don't maybe. you put in a waiver claim you have to take on his contract? Yeah, but his contract isn't like, it's like a million bucks or something like that. I don't it, think that's way too much. Lot. Get him out of uh, here. No, just let him go free. Let him be. If you want to get him in free agency, get, get him in free agency. Um, he he talked about something that I thought was interesting. We've been talking about a lot about Ben Jones and um, today in the pod and about leadership. But I don't think and he said Ben Jones is probably the smartest player, or if not one of the top two smartest players that he's ever coached. Um. We've we've always been a very pro Ben Jones podcast here. Um, we we've loved Ben Jones. We he grew from underappreciated to appreciated the right amount and will be missed. But there's a couple of things from the Ben Jones thing is that basically what Ben Jones was able to do was pretty much able to tell you what every position on the offensive line was supposed to do on every play call. Didn't matter the play call, he was going to be able to tell you, and he was going to be able to tell everybody else what they were supposed to do. And there was a part in there where he mentions that Keith Carter 
is quizzing like really hard a left guard about what the right tackle is supposed to do on spider Y banana on a play. What he's what his assignment was. And Mike Vrabel's like, you know, Keith, don't don't worry about it because Ben Jones is going to be the one to tell him. So there's two parts to this. So I want to focus on that part first because we have heard that Keith Carter is just too much of a in-your-face kind of coach. And that is another story that adds on to what we've heard from Taylor Lewan, what we've alluded, what's been alluded to about him in press conferences and stuff like that. Really seems they they got away with uh they're getting some progress made by having it's like addition by subtraction, kind of like Todd Downing being being gone. It seems like addition by subtraction with Keith Carter being gone. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like it from the standpoint of um, the attitude of the guys within the room. Like, it just seemed like Carter was not well-liked and that maybe he was just too much of a, a hard-ass about inconsequential, inconsequ- inconsequential shit. Uh, easy for me to say. Um, and, and, you know... Vrabel pushed back a little bit on Lawan, who was bitching about the whole like run to the line of scrimmage thing and and all that, which I didn't even realize was something that they like did or or had as a, a requirement. I've always um, every coach uh, I thought wanted you to hustle to the line and wanted you to hustle on and off the field. I didn't know this was apparently a Vrabel specific thing to the Tennessee Titans under Taylor Lawan. Yeah. Uh, that was weird, and I also think he's a little bit of a bitch to complain about it. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of understood Lawan's point of well, the wide receivers have a lot further to go, and as long as we beat the wide receivers to the line of scrimmage, who cares? You know, like how fast we're going. And I will say that there there was a point he brought up, and this goes to the Keith Carter thing, so kind of staying on topic, anyways. Um, that at walkthroughs, I guess Carter would want them to sprint up to the line of scrimmage, and Lawan would be like, "It's a." fucking walk through like what are we doing here um and so i i do think that there's some of that where it's it seems like to me keith carter was one of these guys that spent so much time focusing on stuff that just does not matter and that ultimately he while i think running a tight ship and and all that there's something to be said for that it also starts to you know take away from bigger picture and the the important things that do matter are not focused on as much, you know, or maybe, you know, when a player starts to drown you out because you're going on and on about, you know, running to the line of scripture and walkthroughs again, he's also missing out on the important coaching points that you're trying to get a, across. So like, I think there's some of that, that it just sounds like everything that we've heard about Keith Carter, it kind of falls into that mold. Right. So I also, I, it I also like, thought that there was an interesting point brought up. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we'll talk about Taylor Lewan, yeah. and it, I thought it was interesting that Taylor Lewan complained about everything, but still did it. And I feel like that's also falls into what you're talking about, Keith Carter. Now I'll let you continue getting back into Keith Carter. Cause I do want to talk about Aaron Brewer and all this too. But I did think it was interesting that Taylor Lewan is essentially by complaining, by talking, and complaining about every little thing is also taken away from players being able to learn. He's being a distraction himself, even though he goes and does it, that it is somewhat of a distraction as well when it all is said and done. Yeah, definitely. And and I think, um, 
I think there's there was a point I can't remember if it was Ben Jones or if it came from the Bussin Pod. I'm kind of mixing those two together in my brain at this point. But um, someone brought up the point of one of the advantage. I think it was actually Ben Jones. Now I think about it. Uh, the one of the advantages for the Titans as they retool this offensive line and they kind of rebuild this whole thing from scratch is that they're all going to be learning it together, right? Like nobody's coming in with preconceived notion of like, oh, well, this is how we do it, you know, or we have to do it this way, or I've always done it this way. They're all learning from a new offensive coordinator with a new offensive line coach with all new starters across the board, with the exception of Nicholas petit Frere, who, of course, is suspended for the first six games. So it is he's Ben Jones seemed to think that that might actually help them come together as a unit just because they would be starting from scratch and not really bringing in a ton of bad habits or a ton of like preconceived uh, notions about how they should be doing it into the, into the picture. So I thought that was interesting. Well, I thought, I think it's also promising about what Aaron Brewer, what Mike Vrabel said about Aaron Brewer and about what he did the week in the green Bay game. He learned everything. He did everything. These fucking dogs drive me nuts during this podcast. Uh, <laughs> body slamming each other over here. Um, but I find it interesting that the, everything they've been waiting for from for from Aaron Brewer from a leadership standpoint kind of culminated in the Green Bay game when he had four days, very limited practice, and he's been, they basically said up until they were on the bus or I guess dropped off the bus one or the other. Uh, even at the hotel, everything, he was getting all the teammates prepared with their job of what to do. And it's one of the best offensive performances the Tennessee Titans had with Aaron Brewer under center. And Aaron Brewer has grown more into a leadership role this summer. He is is looking to not be Ben Jones, but be his version of what Ben Jones was to him. And I think that is an important key ingredient to what we're going to see is how much Aaron Brewer does on the field and helps the offensive line know what they're supposed to do from a standpoint of what Ben Jones was able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Because I do think that that knowledge and and the ability to just basically be like a coach on the field that Ben Jones brought to the table is important. Because, yeah, getting getting lined up correctly, getting if a guard doesn't know, isn't totally sure. Because you think about it like a guy like Peter Skaronsky. And I, I think Peter Skaronsky is a super intelligent guy. I think he's going to pick up the offense well. But there may be times when he gets into a game and, you know, his head's spinning because he's a rookie and he's trying to figure all this stuff out and he's, you know, working in a new playbook, all this stuff. And he gets the line of scrimmage and he's not sure what the adjustment is if he's, you know, covered on this certain run or, or what this pass protection is against this defensive front. Um him being able to just tap the center and and say, Hey, you know, what, what do I have here? That is something that's important. And I think Brewer being able to provide that is going to be important. Hey, look, Brewer's <laughs> the most tenured offensive lineman on this team somehow, um, as far as time with the Titans. So, and I think he's been here for what, three years. Is this his fourth year now? I believe that's right. Um, yeah, it had to have been cause he just got tendered. Um, so yeah, yeah this will be his fourth year with the team. So I I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a different type of guy, but you know, everybody raves about like the athlete that he is and, and how big of a freak he is um, from a, from a athleticism standpoint. So it's going to be a different type of center, 
for sure for the Titans this year, but we'll see how it works from a communication standpoint, all that stuff. And, and that's another reason I'm kind of glad they're keeping Tannehill around for this year, because I, I think that making that transition to a new center with a either a rookie quarterback or like a second year quarterback would have been rough from a communication standpoint, from getting them in the right play, all right protections, all that stuff. Tannehill should be able to help him with that. And then hopefully by the time Tannehill's ready to move on and they're ready to go to Will, Will Levis, then maybe Brewer can help Levis get up to speed, you know? I, I thought it's interesting that he talked about Tier Tart, Matt Dickerson, in terms of when they were starting out, how much fire and passion that they had. And yeah. we talk about these back-end guys, these guys making the roster. So a lot of these football players, I would say today, probably listen to Bustle with the Boys. And if your coach is going to be on there, I would think you would listen to Bustle with the Boys. Um, so if I'm a back-end guy, I'm not saying I'm going to start fights, but I am at least scrapping every play because you're likely going to make the back end of this roster if you show them that you're going to come out and you're going to fight every day. If you're going to come out and yeah. kind of be lazy. So, like, to me, the name Jalen Duncan and Colton Dow kind of spring to mind. They're probably going to make the roster in some form or fashion. But also, you know, someone like Racy McMath, who's kind of fighting for his life. I'm anxious to see... And I'm gonna kind of put Braden on this path on the pot on a football show on Thursday. I want to know who's fighting, who in these in these second and third string seven on the seven, eleven on elevens, who is fighting for and showing passion and fire because obviously Mike Vrabel values that a lot more than he I, he feels that he can work with that. And I thought yeah. That was- and it definitely, and and I will say, you know, you go back to that because I was around for that Matt Dickerson when he was a UDFA training camp. And he was not a guy that was really on my radar at all going into that camp, and I I remember him being a surprise keep on the fifty three man roster. And I think now we know why. So we didn't know that that was something that Vrabel was going to look for as far as just a guy that's providing like max effort, that's willing to get into it, stick his nose in, be tough, be physical, be passionate, like that kind of thing. Um, And now that we do, you know, I think that's something that you can definitely look for, especially guys in the trenches to me. As something that like is going to attract Vrabel's attention. I mean, he. Team players, every member of the 90-man roster and like anyone who actually is is trying to be a part of the Titans, I think should go absolutely listen to that podcast because, yeah, he is telling you, you know, some of the stuff he looks for and values, you know, right there. And and I'm sure he talks about it in team meetings and and isn't, you know, that's probably not something that he hides, but it's something that, you know, comes across and, and it is definitely obvious that that's important to him. And it's worked out. I mean, Dickerson didn't end up being like a really a great player or whatever. I think he was always limited from a talent standpoint. But Tier Tart's turned into a really good football player um, and a you know starting nose tackle for this team now. So it, it's definitely something where clearly Vrabel has the ability to coach these guys up if they do have the the motivation, the buy in, the, the yeah, the the want to to put up with the shit and, and put in the max effort and get there and listen to the coaching. So um, I think that's a good formula. Okay. So he, they asked him and pressed him on the AJ Brown contract trade situation, all that kind of stuff. And he, he, he does his best to avoid some stuff. But I thought it was interesting. 
that he kept saying they, 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 they decided, they said this, they made the call, they did that. It was obvious the night that Mike Vrabel was hurt in some way, angry, sad, whatever you want to call it. And he's obviously still keeps in touch with JJ. I thought it was interesting, though, that it wasn't a we thing. It was a they thing. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up on that when you were watching? Yeah, I did. And I think that's one of those things where whether that was conscious or subconscious, I think that's sending a message of this was not my decision. I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, which, look, whether he did or not is smart posturing on his part to distance himself from what has been a wildly unpopular decision um obviously with the fan base and also i mean just the results have not panned out yet now i will say this we still don't know like if Traylon Burks has a big year this year how would you feel about the aj trade like do you still think it's a terrible trade do you think maybe you could have gotten Traylon Burks anyways at you know if you'd stayed at whatever pick they had i can't remember what it was but i i i still think it's just a dumb trade like I, I, Traylon Burks, I, I feel like they have to get to the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, clearly, if AJ Brown wasn't on that Jalen Hurts team, unless it was a, as a, unless it was a wide receiver on that team of equal value or talent, if they went out and traded for someone else, like maybe if they trade for Debo, you get what I'm saying? If they went ahead yeah. and said, well, we couldn't get AJ, let's trade for Debo. They don't make the Super Bowl, right? They don't have that great year last year without A.J. Brown staying healthy. And last year, because like to me, it's like you could have had A.J. Brown and you could have had Traylon Burks if you if you wanted. Like it wasn't an either or proposition. They made it an either or proposition. And that I'm guy not, got I'm fired. I'm sure Burks would have been there. He may not have been, but you could have got yeah. George Pickens. You could have got Christian Watson. You, I mean, they Sky Moore. We, we yeah, weren't, we weren't well, hopefully not Sky Moore, but we weren't <laughs> very high on Christian Watson, but it turns out yeah. you sh- we should have been high on Christian Watson. So, like, and I feel like that's Christian Watson is a very much a John Robinson kind of draft pick. So I feel like they could have gotten somebody to pair with A.J. Brown. So I... I, I don't know what Traylon Burks has to do to erase the memories. I mean, like, I think he has to have better back-to-back-to-back seasons as a wide receiver. He has to put together three back-to-back seasons. One of them has to be better than A.J. Brown's season for it to look like, oh, well, we just... And they have to re-sign him, right? Like, yes, they have these seasons, and they need to re-sign him. They don't need to yeah. go through the same thing again. See, I mean, let's just... Hypothetically, let's just play play fantasy land here. All right. Say the Titans, the offense works. Tim Kelly's good. DeAndre Hopkins still has some juice. Burks breaks out. Aconco's good. Traylon Burks has like 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns this and year. That's great. And, oh, my gosh. And Hopkins goes for like 950 and, and six touchdowns. Yeah. Um, the Titans end up in the AFC Championship game. Are we still talking about A.J. Brown next offseason? I'm sure some people will. Some people won't ever get over it, even if Traylon Burks probably goes to like the Hall of Fame. I don't think that. I think he's getting his gold jacket. There's still going to be like a couple of guys in the media still probably on their now defunct podcast or YouTube channel or radio show on the AM, whatever will eventually be AM in that like 40 years down the line. They'll still be talking about that AJ Brown trade. You could have had two wide receivers in the, you know, in, in the Hall of Fame if you would have kept AJ Brown, you know, something like that. 
But I think there, I think you can't grade a trade right now. The trade is awful, and it's yeah. I, I understand why people are mad. I mean, I understand why John Robinson got fired over. Yeah. I understand why Mike Vrabel's distancing himself, and Kenneth Crawl says, you know, is it J Rob plus Cowden equals day? And I think that could be J Rob Cowden, could be J Rob Monty. I mean, it could be all three. Maybe could, he's could just be, like done be with J-Rob all J Rob AES. You know, maybe yeah. she signed off on it. You know, yeah. I would assume. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess the reports were that maybe she didn't sign off on it, yeah. or it wasn't communicated to her, or whatever. But uh, you, know, I mean. I mean, it could be any of those guys. I think J-Rob Cal... I mean, they kept Calden for a while, so I kind of, like, I don't know. But anyway, I think that... Gosh, I don't know what he's going to have... I don't know what this team has to do on the field for the A.J. Brown trade to sting less for this fan base. And I think maybe what's going to have to happen, Mike, is that Traylon Burke's career sins... AJ Brown careers descends at the right time, which is like the next few years. <laughs> and Traylon Burks gets signed to another contract while AJ Brown's a free agent struggling to find uh, a decent payday. Like, I feel like that's what has to happen, but I don't want to wish that on a player, but I feel like that's what has to happen. I think. Yeah. I feel maybe. Like. Maybe. I think the Eagles will regress, so maybe that will take a little bit of the sting out of it. We don't have to play a. We, I think by the time his contract is. Now, we'll still see A.J. Brown. The Tennessee Titans will still see A.J. Brown, I think, one more time if he plays the full four years of his contract, right? Yeah, the last year, I think, the of his The very deal. last year yeah. of his deal. So it'll be interesting to see if he's still there. You never know. Which which would theoretically be in Nashville, which would be very interesting. Yeah. And in the new stadium. Yeah, and in the new stadium. I doubt I doubt he's still with them at that point, to be honest. Yeah, the um, it kind of looks like right here, uh, Kenneth Kenneth Carl says about basically the same thing. Traylon Burks' sins and AJ has bad knees this year would be a pretty, pretty good start. I feel like. Sure. Uh, I I, I want to get to one last question and then we're going to end it. And this is um, from Kenneth Carl again. That brings up what what do you two think there is left to bring or want Rand to bring in? He specifically mentions inside linebacker depth. But I want to point out, and I, I do agree with that, by the way, inside linebacker depth. I, I do want to point out that he b- drew a lot of strong parallels between the center position and what he values there, knowing everything on the f- that's happening on the field and in every position, communication, teaching, leading. And he said that is exactly what inside linebackers should be as well. I mean, obviously inside linebackers wear the green dot should be able to do that, but I feel like he wants all of his inside linebackers to do that. Now I do not know anything about the communication efforts of Ruben Foster, but I am still a big proponent of bringing in Ruben Foster for a tryout. See what happens. Surely he could maybe even, we talked about Mims earlier pushing for a roster spot. I feel like Ruben Foster would almost be guaranteed a roster spot and could easily probably push out Reuben Foster, but there's also still inside linebackers out there that they know or are familiar with. And Zach Cunningham. I mean, I know that's not a guy you want to bring back in, but if you brought him back in for like $2 million, that's probably much better depth than the beer pong boys behind him. Then you also have chance Campbell who, um, you know, I think they were really high on last year and he played really well in preseason. Then he got injured. So there's, he's kind of been a forgotten player in that inside linebacker rotation as well. But I do think that 
somewhere in the defense is probably the the final free agent acquisition with any kind of name value to it. You want to bring back Jadavian Clowney? <laughs> Fuck it, why not? You know, I you know at this point, you know, like if it's if it's cheap enough, listen, it's cheap enough. Yeah. Let's do it. You know, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at on some of these players. If it's cheap enough, hey, Marcus Peters, cheap enough, we'll find a spot for him. Yeah, I mean, so I definitely think there's some guys still out there. So I wrote I wrote about the four that I thought that they should bring in besides DeAndre Hopkins uh, about a month ago. And Fant, George Fant was one of those. Um, John Johnson was another one that I mentioned. The safety, um, you know, was released from from Cleveland, was awesome with the Rams, you know, was was great out there. I, you know, I don't know if he'd sign here to be a third safety, um, but I'd imagine he's about running out of, ch- you know, opportunities for starting roles. So maybe you could get him on a, a cheap deal where you could play him in some of those big dime packages that they like to run and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, maybe Elijah Molden, they feel okay about him playing there, but I still think you need safety depth because there just is like, besides Elijah Molden, there's nobody recognizable in that safety room besides the starters. Um, which, you know, one of which has a extensive injury history at this point and is almost bound to go down for four or five games at some point in the season. So um, I also had uh, Matt Ioannidis, uh, the former uh, commander's defensive defensive tackle who also played with, uh, I think he played with Carolina last year. Still only 29, gives you some pass rush juice, gives you a little bit of like Danico Autry insurance. Uh, in my opinion, could be could kind of fill into that DeMarcus Walker role as far as like a situational pass rusher that they had last year. I still think they need a little bit more depth in the pass rush. So I also had uh, Justin Houston on my list as as a guy I'd like to see brought in. Uh, Houston, I think, still had like uh, – he had nine and a half sacks last year in Baltimore despite playing less than 400 snaps. So he was extremely effective in a rotational role. I think it would be great to have him behind Landry and key as kind of a, you know, insurance in case Landry's knee isn't, you know, gives him some trouble throughout the year. Or if maybe, maybe Arden key struggles to, you know, take on the starting role and just needs some help. Um, you know, I, I just feel, I would feel better with one more at the edge rush spot. Uh, and you could talk me into Yannick Ngakwe if you were just going to use him as a pass rush specialist, despite how much shit I constantly talk about him. Like I hate him as a player. It's like an you, every you, down you, guy. You do. I, I, you you can't stay. He, he just doesn't give a shit. You know, I don't like guys like that. Um, I mean, there's like Melvin Ingram still out there. Like I mentioned, Clowney. I mean, Clowney wouldn't be. And the fan base would kind of hate it with Clowney. But if you could get him for a cheap deal and you didn't have to rely on him to be a starter, you just kind of like use him whenever, you know, you can. Um, I think you could do worse uh, with, you know, a couple million bucks or whatever. Although who knows if he'd even play for that. But yeah, I I do think there's still some depth. I I don't really think inside linebacker is a spot that I would spend a whole lot of attention on right now just because, I think they've already kind of done some of what they're planning to do there. Like you got the two starters, you figure Monty Rice, Aziz Alshire. Uh, and then you've got uh, Luke Gifford, who they signed and gave pretty decent money to. More of a special teams guy, but he'll probably be a decent backup. Uh, ben Neiman, they signed, who has some starting experience, has played NFL football. And then you've got Jack Gibbons, Chance Campbell, you know, who both are 
heading into their second year, right? Second year for those guys or third? I can't remember. Uh, second now. for Chance Campbell. Um, so I think you've still got those guys who, you know, you could you could have on the roster as depth guys. So I, I actually feel okay about the inside linebacker depth. I, the worst spots to me are safety, edge rusher, defensive line, and offensive line. Like those four spots to me, you got to do something. Well, you're probably not going to do something about all of them, but I'd like to see them address two or three of those um, with a veteran, you know, and it doesn't have to be this most expensive guy. Like George Fan is a perfect example. That's a smart addition if that's what they end up doing here, which it sounds like they probably will. Um, that's a really smart signing, in my opinion, because it fills a hole, gives them some depth, it gives them a starting, a guy who's got a lot of NFL starts, who started at both tackle spots. I mean, give me some more guys like that and, and you know, go compete. Because that's the biggest thing left to me is, did the offensive line fix stick? And then is the depth good enough for them to survive a season and, and some injuries throughout the year? So. If they can fix those two things or help address those two things, then I, I think they'll actually be in pretty good shape at the end of this year. Uh, that'll do it for us. I knew we were going to go long because you know we just had so much to talk about. Uh, training camp preview or review, I guess, uh, uh, next week. We didn't really get around to it, but I think we both are very hyper-focused on the offensive line for the most part and the defensive backs, if I were to say. And who's back? You know, Injury people that may be back or may show their face like Harold Landry and maybe Dylan Radins progresses throughout training camp, stuff like that. It's all very important. Uh, football and other F-words. Follow him on Twitter, Mike Herndon, at Mike Herndon NFL. Read all of this stuff over at paulkarski.com. Zach Lyons, at F-wordspot on Twitter. You can read all of my stuff over at stackingtheinbox.com. This has been Football and Other F-words, brought to you by Bluegrass Beverages, and you have just been f